0: I want to talk about fasting today, it, and, you know, I usually speak in a passage and not so much on subjects, but today I want to talk about a subject, and it's called fasting. In Spanish, ajuno or ajunar. And, um, you know, when I lived in Mexico, we had a very difficult situation. You know, it's not the way it is today because the Constitution has been changed, but in, in those days it was very difficult to propagate any religion outside of your own home. Or a church building, which the church buildings said property of the federal government. Everyone had to say that. You had to deed it over to the federal government. And and we wondered if the Lord wanted us to go ahead with a series of out-and-out evangelistic crusades. So we got down on our knees and we prayed. I'm not sure when we did that we said we're going to pray and fast. But I'll tell you, the, the prayer was so intense we didn't have time to eat. And after it was hours, we were, we were there. And we came up with the answer, and we went ahead with it, and many people were saved. Now, fasting might sound strange or even hyper-spiritual, and we don't talk about it very much. In fact, this morning, I went, I've got a, a set of seven-volume theology, and I went into the index and pulled it out and looked under F for fasting. It wasn't there. Now, I just told my wife, I'm going to go home and take a look. See, maybe it's a subset under prayer, but it wasn't there. We don't talk about it very much. But, you know, to see how fasting fits into our lives as Christians, I think we need to understand several things. Number one, what fasting really is. It's the practice of abstaining for food for spiritual purposes. It's not to lose weight. Now we're going to talk about that purpose in a few, few minutes. Second, in Jesus' time, it was unusual for any, any religious person not to fast. The disciples of John the Baptist fasted. So did the Pharisees. And you remember who the Pharisees were. I'm sure you do, you know. They opposed Jesus. And they wanted actually to kill him. There's also fasting in Buddhism, Islam, Judaism, Taoism, Jainism. I wouldn't know what Jainism was if I hadn't written a paper on it when I was in seminary. And Hinduism. Third, there is no specific command in the New Testament for Jesus' disciples to fast, but it certainly was practiced under certain circumstances. Listen to Luke 5. Luke 5. The disciples of John often fasted and offered prayers. The disciples of the Pharisees also do likewise and yours, meaning your disciples, yours eat and drink. And Jesus said to them, can you make the attendance of a bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is still with him? But the days will come. And when the bridegroom is taken away from them, then they will fast in those days. Number four, Jesus himself fasted. Matthew chapter 4. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, yikes, 40 days, then he became hungry. Number five. It's important to know the reasons for fasting. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gave his followers instructions. I like this because he told them how to fast and how not to do it. So let's read it. Now, whenever you fast, how not to do it? Do not put on a gloomy face, as the hypocrites do. For they neglect their appearance, so that they will be noticed by men when they are fasting. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you fast, this is this is curious. Anoint your head, some versions say anoint your head with oil. And wash your face so that your fasting will not be noticed by men, but by your father who is in secret and your father who, who sees what is done in secret will reward you. You know, I was speaking at a conference in, uh, it was, this was in Spanish, speaking at a conference and one of the other conference speakers was sitting next to me. And, uh, it was interesting because, uh, he did a fast. And he recorded the whole thing, made pictures of it, and published a book. And I thought to myself, that seems to me a little contrary to what's saying here, you know? But, you know, it, and it says, anoint your head with oil. And I thought, you know, that's interesting. I've always wondered what that meant. The oil was not ritualistic. One would anoint one's head with oil when sitting down to eat with others. It was a custom. Because the nice, it, it, it was hygienic, and it worked something like a deodorant. The nice smell of the olive oil would cover up the other mm, inevitable orders of living and working in a desert city. So you actually see the practice mentioned in several parts of the scripture. How about Psalm twenty-three, five? You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. And then, you know, Jesus rebukes the Pharisee and praises a sinful woman, saying this. This is in Luke 7. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust off my from my feet. But she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. Here, verse 46. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head. But she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. Now, anointing your head or putting oil on your head, it was, it was telling the disciples that when you fast, look normal. You know, don't look strange. You know, because you want to do this in secret. By doing this, it would keep that secret part of fasting between the person and God alone. And they would not receive praise or honor from people, but from God. Number six, the Bible is filled with examples of people who abstain from food to seek God. We just read, or we're still reading, Nehemiah. Nehemiah fasted to help him confess his sins to God, and to ask God for favor in the sight of the king of persia to get permission to rebuild the walls of jerusalem and he got it david fasted to ask god to intervene because of injustice you find that in psalm 35:13 but more we we usually think of second samuel 12:17 and 23 where david fasted to ask for a miraculous healing he didn't get it now Mordecai, Esther four three, and the Jews fasted upon hearing the news of Haman 's plot to exterminate them. The early church fasted while worshiping and, and committing their ministry to the Lord. They also sought the Lord through fasting for guidance when they appointed leaders, Acts 13 and acts 14. Now i 'm going to read the, this part about Nineveh because we just finished with Jonah. And this is I, we got to go back over. This is so interesting. And uh, this is um, Jonah 3, 5 to 9. Listen, the people of Nineveh believed God's message. And from the greatest to the least. Now, these these were pagans, <laughs> you know, and um, the greatest to the least. They declared a fast. And put on burlap to show their sorrow. When the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying, he stepped down from his throne, took off his royal robes. He dressed himself in burlap and sat on a heap of ashes. That was quite a sight, I'm sure. Then the king and his nobles sent this decree throughout the city. No one, not even animals, from your herds and flocks may eat or drink anything. Can you imagine the complaining from those animals? Do you have a dog? We, yeah, our our grandboys have a dog. If it's 3.31 in the afternoon, he starts whining. He eats at 3.30. How he knows when it's 3.30, I don't know. 3.31, he starts whining. So I can imagine, when I, when I read this, I said, I can imagine all of those animals just just asking for their food. People, and this is verse 8, people and animals alike must wear garments of mourning, and everyone must pray earnestly to God. They must turn from their evil ways and stop all their violence. Who can tell? Maybe even yet god will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us you know fasting isn't limited to just bible times many of the church's most important leaders you know during an important time in history for instance the reformation including martin luther john calvin and john knox they fasted in fact i found a thing about knox he fasted and prayed so much that Queen Mary said she feared his prayers more than all the armies of Scotland. I just finished writing for five days for a, a newspaper in Central America about John Wesley. And Wesley fasted twice a week from sun up to late afternoon. Charles Finney fasted regularly each week. Now, let's talk about the purpose. For fasting. In Isaiah, I found it interesting. In Isaiah 58. God sees the nation of Israel fasting. There they are fasting. And abstaining from food. For a day in order to seek. Help from him. Sounds good up till now. They wanted justice for Israel. And judgment. On those who oppressed Israel. However. No help came. They didn't get it. So God points out that the Israelites themselves are oppressing their own people. God tells the people that he doesn't want them to go a day without food. He wants them to abstain from the ways they oppress one another. Now, this is Isaiah 58. We pick it up here. Then, when you call, the Lord will answer. Yes, I am here. He will quickly reply. Remove the heavy yoke of oppression. Stop pointing your finger and Spreading vicious rumors. I found that one very interesting. Feed the hungry. And help those in trouble. Then your light will shine out from the darkness. And the darkness around you. Will be as bright as noon. He was more interested in the heart. Now. The Israelites were merely putting on a show of fasting. Without truly following him. But you know. Biblical fasting isn't so much about how God responds to our prayers. I think it's it's more about how we bring our prayers to him. In 1 Peter 5.5 5 says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And then in 2 Samuel, You rescue the humble, but your eyes watch the proud and humiliate them. You know, fasting is a way of humbling ourselves before God. In the Old Testament, fasting was often accompanied by other signs of humility and brokenness, such as weeping and mourning and lamenting, as well as wearing sackcloth and sitting on ashes. Now, if your heart is right, he's saying, fast go fasting is a biblical way of truly humbling yourself in the sight of god king david said this in psalm 35 i humble my soul with fasting and there's one in ezra 8:21, and there by the ahava canal i gave orders for all of us to fast and humble ourselves before our god We prayed that he would give us a safe journey and protect us, our children, and our goods as we traveled. It was a difficult, it was a long trip, and it was wrought with bandits on the way. Fasting shows our dependence upon the bread of life. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never thirst, be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Fasting enables the Holy Spirit really to reveal our true spiritual condition, which will result in brokenness, repentance, and eventually a transformed life. Our confidence and faith in God will be strengthened, and we will be mentally, spiritually, and physically refreshed. So, true fasting is a means of fostering better or humbler and more concentrated approach to prayer. It, it, it gives us a chance to take our eyes off the things of the world. And we can more successfully turn our attention to Jesus. Fasting changes us. It doesn't change God. Fasting is, is not a way to appear more spiritual than others. Fasting is, is to be done in the spirit of humility. But at the same time with a joyful attitude. Andy's going to come up here in a couple minutes and answer All of our questions, aren't you? Okay. yeah, yeah, he's I'm sure of that. Now, though the connection between prayer and fasting is not specifically explained in Scripture, there is a common thread connecting the two in all the instances of prayer and fasting recorded in the Bible. In the Old Testament, it appears that fasting with prayer had was done with a sense of dependence or urgency or helplessness in the face of anticipated calamity. For instance, a dangerous journey or the enemies are approaching. In the first chapter of Nehemiah, Nehemiah describes praying and fasting because of his deep distress over the news that Jerusalem had been desolated. His his many days of prayer were characterized by these things. Tears, fasting, confession on behalf of the people, and pleas to God for mercy. How about Daniel? Listen to Daniel. Then I turned my face to the Lord, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And like Nehemiah, Daniel fasted and prayed that God would have mercy upon the people. Now, there are instances of prayer and fasting in the New Testament that are not connected with repentance or confession. Andy's going to talk in a couple of minutes about Anna. But it says here, she never left the temple, but stayed there day and night, worshiping God and fasting and and prayer. The idea was to get closer to God. Also in the New Testament, the Church of Antioch. One day, as these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Appoint Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I have called them. And something that I had forgotten in verse three. So after more fasting and prayer, I'd forgotten that they did that. The men laid their hands on them and sent them on their way. So prayer and fasting are also components of worshiping the Lord and seeking his favor. Nowhere is there any indication that the Lord is more likely to answer our prayers if they're accompanied by fasting. Rather, fasting along with prayer indicates our sincerity and the critical natures of the situations we're facing. I I wanted to put a theology of fasting together. I couldn't do it. But the theology of fasting to me is priorities in which we're given the opportunity to express ourselves in an undivided and intensive devotion to the Lord. This will be expressed by abstaining for a short while from such normal and good things as food and drink to to enjoy a time of uninterrupted communion with the Father. The purpose of fasting is not to get God to respond like a genie in a bottle to grant our every wish. Fasting is seeking after God's heart to see what God's heart says. This is what sets biblical fasting apart from all other religions and cultures around the world. So I ask myself, do I have any critical situations in my life? You know, I said, yeah, I do have one. Wait a second. There are really two. No, maybe. Yeah, there's three. Uh, there's five, actually. And then I started beginning to think about our nation. And it rose to ten immediately. Andy, come up here and answer our questions.
1: Q&A. So the written Q&A is back on the table, back in that corner of the room. So please, when I'm done, when Dan's done today, please go back there. And uh, take that question and answer sheet and read through it. And uh, if the Lord leads you, uh, there's a sign-up sheet there that you can sign up to practically participate by uh, coming to the church. Okay, I'm just going to pray for just a, just a second here. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'll speak to us this morning. Use the words, I will speak, to meet our need For your word, because we cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Amen. So my goal practically this morning, answer some questions. I think it's mostly in writing, but also to plead with you to participate next week in this 24 hour fast and prayer. Okay. Now, that said, I'm here to plead with you, hopefully persuade you to participate, but I was uh, warned, and very clearly, no guilt trips. So, thinking about that, I, I want to explain that, like in everything, the Lord has enabled this Congregation with different gifts. We have a diversity of gifts. This is a clear principle from God's word. So I'm going to just use a couple illustrations to show what some of the gifts are. So my first one here uh, is, as as you guessed, Anna. So she's the first instance of fasting recorded in the New Testament in Luke chapter 2. Uh, here's, the, here's the verses uh, from Luke 2. There was a prophetess, Anna, daughter of Phanuel, tribe of Asher. She was very old, having been married to her husband for seven years until his death. She lived as a widow since then for 84 years. So depending on how you read the text, she was in her mid-80s, or very likely that she was actually over 100. So she's old, Okay. Uh, she never left the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And, of course, then Mary and Joseph come up with the baby. Uh, at that moment, she came up to them, and there was Simeon there, too, and began to give thanks to God and to speak about the child to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. So let's just consider Anna's life for a moment. OK, these are all we know about her right there in those few short verses. Um, Anna's very old. She's been widowed when she was still young. So she'd spent most of her life single. She hadn't remarried uh, and she had devoted her life to worshiping with fasting and prayer. So no husband, no remaining family responsibilities. Apparently, she had some sort of resources or alms. So this is what she did night and day. The text tells us. Here is someone who's devoted to worshiping with fasting and prayer. So here's my other example. One of the busiest women I know, my daughter, Sophia. Here she is. She's married. She's got a busy husband. She's got a 22-month-old toddler, and she's four months pregnant with number two, okay? And... She also works part-time. So there she is at the computer trying to get some work done while taking care of little Addie. So I know that there's others just like her in this congregation. And you people are super busy. I understand that. This may not be what you're able to do. And you know something? That's okay. That's okay. But you know, where I live... And I think where most of us live, as I look out on the congregation here, most of us are somewhere in between these two extremes. Okay, right. I still have a job. I'm not like Anna. I can't spend day and night fasting, but I'm not like Sophia either. Okay. I don't have a little toddler. Those, those, that, that brief window of time, that stewardship is passed for me. So I have a fair amount of freedom. I'm in between Anna and Sophia. Okay. That's that's where I think most of us actually find ourselves. So for us who are in that in between, I'm I'm pleading with you, let's uh, fast together. So, okay, I want to preach to myself here, and maybe you find yourself thinking the same thing. Okay,
0: what? Why
1: should I fast? When I consider my own feelings about fasting, the first thought that comes to mind is, why would I choose weakness? I need strength, not weakness. I need to do things faster, not slow down. Don't you feel like that? How often I find myself praying for strength for accomplishing the tasks that I've got ahead of me that day. Uh, And honestly, our prayers are so often for health and strength and accomplishing tasks for success. But you know, I'm not sure that I am actually the best physician of my own soul. You know, God, sometimes we pray for health, and that's okay. I'm praying for Jacob to be completely healed. I am praying for health and strength for myself, for accomplishing the work that's before me at Voice of Christ. You know, but sometimes God's physicianship is so much more profound than mine. He says, no, Andrew, here's here's the prescription for you. It's actually weakness it's ill health its dependency and that's hard sometimes for me to accept particularly in the culture in which we live where Americans were about getting things done we were living in the busiest most accomplished richest society the world's ever seen but Let's think about that. Are we? Is it possible that what we're finding ourselves is we're finding ourselves in the same situation that a woman named Martha found ourselves in, found herself in many years ago? What did Jesus say to Martha? You know, Martha was doing good things, wasn't she? She was super busy. Here's what it says. This is Luke 10. Jesus entered a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him as a guest. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he said. But Martha was distracted with all the preparations she had to make. So she came up to Jesus and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work alone? Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her. A gentle rebuke, right? Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed. Mary has chosen the best part. It will not be taken away from her. What Martha was up to was hospitality. She was making food for everybody, for her visitors. That's a good thing. The Apostle Peter tells us to practice hospitality without grumbling. Well, maybe Martha was guilty of a little grumbling there, but uh, but she was doing good things, right? But Jesus said, no, Martha, actually, there's something even better than what you're up to. To sit at Jesus' feet. This will require that we set aside some of our tasks for a time. God's given us tasks. Those are good tasks. But for a time, fasting is a picture of our need for him. Jesus spoke to the devil in the wilderness. And what did Jesus say? He said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So this is my plea to you. I encourage you. To take some time slow down and let's together recognize our need for God we need to sit at his feet while we can't spend all our time worshiping and fasting and prayer like Anna the prophetess most of us can find some time to step away from our activities of daily life and devote to fasting and prayer so that's what I'd ask you to consider doing to join me Join other leaders here at Westside Bible Fellowship. We'll be here at the church for a 24-hour fasting and prayer time together. And you can sign up to participate or you can just show up. We don't, we're not going to hold, hold you to it. If, if the alarm doesn't go off,
0: that's okay.
1: Lord knows. But we'd love to have you do this together. Let's pray for the congregation here. Let's pray for the things that... Only the Lord can do. You know, we can study the Bible. We can hit the books. I can learn Greek. I can do all sorts of things to make sure that I'm well instructed. And those are good things, aren't they? Yeah, they are. But you know something? Only God is able to intervene and unblind people's eyes and bring conviction of sin into people's hearts. Let's pray for what only God can do. So thank you. I think, I think uh, I'm going to just give thanks and then Dan will be back up for another song. Uh, Heavenly Father, we are dependent on you and we want to recognize that both privately and, and together as a congregation and call out to you to act and bless your people your work that there'd be a spreading of a blessing from this congregation both in our Jerusalem and Judea our, our Hillsboro right here our neighborhood uh but on to the ends of the earth through Jesus name and his power amen